and welcome to another Architecture Podcast. I'm George Bradley, architect and director of London-based studio Bradley van der Straten, and every fortnight I talk to a different architect from around the world to discuss an inspiring house that they have designed. In this episode, I talk to the architect Anais Bleo, one of the founders of Dab Design, about their latest project, Guild. The project is a transformation of a beautiful 18th century Georgian townhouse in central London. In its latest incarnation, it was being used as a mix of office space and apartments, but Dab have restored the five-floor property into a home for a family of seven. What Dab have done to this 260-year-old building is beautiful. They have carefully balanced preservation with the needs for modernising by taking a very respectful approach to the challenges of working with a historic building. However, they have managed to balance this with being extremely bold, particularly with colours. The home is of its place. It could only be in London. But this is the London straight from a movie set. Dickings, Sherlock Holmes. I wouldn't even be surprised if Mary Poppins turned up on the doorstep as the new family nanny. If you'd like to find out more about Dab Design and their project Guild, you can find more information on the episode page at anotherarchitecturepodcast.com, which will include images, plans and links to further information. I hope you enjoy listening. Thank you for joining me today on the podcast. Hi, George. Thanks for having me. This is actually the, the oldest house, the oldest property that we've we've had on the podcast. So we're talking about um, a Georgian property from the 1760s uh, located in London. So it's going to be fascinating finding out how you've used and worked with a, with an old building like this and turned it into a modern um, family home. Um, but maybe if we could start with just if you could tell us a little bit about you and and your practice uh, dab um dab is a is a small london-based practice that i set up with uh, my partner dennis austin uh, we set up about five years ago and we are working on a, a quite diverse uh, type of uh, projects um, and it ranges from conservation projects like guild um, to infrastructure projects um, social housing um so it's it's really quite varied mm, it's quite it's quite a range and you and dennis your business partner um you you've met through um working on terminal five i believe and heathrow airport um which what i thought was really interesting if you couldn't get further from the typology of the house that we're going to be talking about today um was that always a sort of plan of yours when you're setting up the practice that you were going to be working on such a range of projects uh I don't think there was a precise plan to be to be completely honest. Um, I think when when we were working on Terminal Five, uh, it was a long time ago, and but it it was a, an amazing time and very creative, and we both enjoyed a lot the the collaborative aspect of of the way the project was set up, um, and it was. Yes, it was it was almost a little island of design engineering um, where everybody was was working in the same location and and interacting. So it, it was a, a fascinating and very exciting time. I think we 
we both really met on, um, we had the same level of curiosity of things. Um, Dennis coming from, uh, from being, a, being an American <laughs> citizen and me, French, both being in London, uh, we had both a quite international um, uh, background of traveling, of working in different countries, and we had the same appetite for for architecture, for all different types of architecture and working on different types of projects. Um, but then we, we continued our ways separately. Um, he, was, uh, he stayed at uh, RSHP while I was working with Will Olsop. Um, and then we met again uh, to, to set up DAB. Uh, it's something that we separately always wanted to do. Um, and then it just felt like the right thing to do after, uh, after quite a lot of years of working for other people, we both agreed that was the right time to, to do our own things. Mm -hmm. And it's quite a big jump from the practices you're at, like with Allsop, big practices doing big public projects, doing airports to, um, to now jumping to what's quite a small team and, and a, an eclectic mix of projects. Was that a desire? I'm just sort of thinking, reflecting on myself, actually, in terms of thinking me and my business partner, we were similar working in kind of big practices and us setting up was a reaction to, we didn't want that. We wanted something more small and manageable and personal. Um, but where you've managed to sort of so far bridge kind of um, both fields of you, you you kind of do family homes and and small projects, but also bigger, larger ones as well. Was did you have a reaction to what you were working on and wanting to do something different, or was it just purely the next step for you in career wise? Absolutely, I think it was a positive reaction. It was um, it was just curiosity poking again, mm -hmm. um, and being in London and and witnessing all of this. The, the vibrancy and the, the dynamism of um, residential architecture, um, extension, conversion, it, you can't ignore this. You want to be part of it. So, mm -hmm. it, it, interestingly, both Dennis and I had started working on smaller projects a long time ago as well. Um, mm -hmm. And we knew the complexity of it, the real complexity of it, of going into details, working for private clients and um but it, it was a challenge we we wanted to to take it's it's something that really excited us at um, probably about 10 years ago now mm -hmm. uh, and it, it, it again it was it was really curiosity that drove us to to that now the way we managed to keep a different um uh scale of of project i think it's because we, in our past, um, in, a, in our past experience, we we established qu quite strong um, uh, relationship with people uh, during during these collaborative moments, collaborative um, project uh, periods um, at Terminal Five, uh, working with with a large team. Uh, of engineers, other architects, other practices, etc. Um, we established yeah, quite quite good connections with with people on having the same aspiration of sharing work, of exchanging, um, and it, it's quite naturally that uh, people call call us back in when they need this kind of collaboration, this kind of thinking, mm -hmm. this kind of uh, 
um, input to a project. And so as a practice, you're now five years ago that you've set up. And often projects like this, like Guild, they can take years in the making in terms of development. Um, where did this project sit? Was this an early days? How long, how long had you been working on this project? Um, was it a relatively new one when you first started? It was, um, I had had been able to, to do a few, maybe three, uh, not as large as this one, but three houses, re- relatively uh, large um, and of the same nature, not as large as this mm-hmm. one. Um, and I had gained, I, I think, a, a knowledge of how things works and what is required um, to, to bring a project like that to, to a success, which is very complex. Um, and it was the right time for me to take this challenge again. But the um, but this project, I mean, the really one of the key kind of unique aspects of it is it's from a seventeen sixty, so it's two hundred and fifty years old. Um, and I was having a little look beforehand to sort of just get a bit of context of you know how old are we sort of talking about for the listener here of just the two kind of key things I could sort of pull out was Mozart had just been born. Um, and it was just before the American War of Independence. So you know, big stuff. Big stuff going on, um, but it's a stunning house. It's and it's um, central London, and it's listed. So in the UK, it's it's a kind of protected for historical um, interest. Can you tell me a little bit about the house? What's what do you think the reason is for the listing? What's so special about it? That's the existing really house. Sorry, it's really interesting you say that because going in the house, and I've been many many times in the house now. Uh, I couldn't help thinking that technically Marie Antoinette could have been on these steps. You know, <laughs> that was my, my reference. And I, yeah. I could see her hair and her, her, her dresses going up and down the stairs. And it really <laughs> helped me grasp the, the magnificence of the, of the house. Um, yes, this house is listed, uh, is a grade two listed building. It is protected uh, for its significance. For his its historical significance, his, his uh, architectural significance, um, and uh, aesthetical significance, it means that it's an exceptional building, and it's got um, the particularity of it is that it was relatively um, in good condition in terms of the characteristic features of the Georgian architecture, though the the house had been divided in offices and uh, dwellings, so a, a top maisonette uh, and offices on uh, ground floor, first floor, and some more, uh, another uh, flat in the basement. Despite that, uh, behind, um, behind drop ceilings and a lot of paint and a lot of uh, cluttered elements, the, the features, the original features, were 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 present, and mm-hmm. so I'm talking about uh, wood paneling. I'm talking about um, some um, plaster uh, ornament in on the ceiling. Um, not all of them, but we managed to find some elements that helped us restore uh, the entirety of them. Um, and for example, on on the stair, under some vinyl tiles, we found the original original Portland um, stone. Uh, so 
that, that, that is very significant, to be able to say and to see the original features of, of this architecture. Um, and also, though it was divided, there was, there was the potential to take out some elements, some partitions, some, some, the partition that had been added during the years, during these 260 years of, uh, of uh, living of this house, um, and to reinstate the plan form, which is also significant. It tells mm -hmm. us a lot about how people lived at the time. Um, so the potential was, was huge in terms of uh, significance and in terms of yeah, knowing more about this time. And over those 260 years, has, had the house been continually lived in as a family home or had it, been, had it gone through various changes? Well, no, it, it, it had been quite early, um, well, early, maybe a hundred years after. Um, it, it was probably used as a, as a family uh, house for about a hundred years and after, quite quickly, it became um, a division of offices right. um, and flats. So that's why so it, it had been sort of broken down and partitions installed, but they'd kept and preserved a lot of the original features still exactly. and just covered them over. Exactly. And um, so the, the family that you've been working with here, the family that, that live um, in the property, so it's a big family, a seven-person family. Um, did they buy the house? Did, uh, would they been living in the house or did they buy it and then approach you to start working on it? So the, the family of seven, really lovely family, um, they, they had been living in the, in the area, in central London, in Westminster, for, for a long time, for more than 10 years. And they really enjoyed this area, um, which is, they are, they are French. Um, and for, I think for, for European, this part of London is very London-like. It's the mm -hmm. London of the books, of the stories of Jane Austen, and of uh, so it is the real London. Mm -hmm. um, and I think they enjoyed this area for living like if you live in Paris, um, which is just walking anywhere you want to go. You just walk to your bakery, you walk to your office, you walk to here and there. Everything is very close, but at the same and you live a very urban life. Um, but at the same time, you you live that in London and in the hmm. of London, and I think that's these two aspects which were really key for them to, to purchase this house. Yeah, it's interesting the Jane Austen reference. I was thinking like very Dickensian. I was thinking very um, Mary Poppins. You know, you see these films and people living in these grand houses in London, and you think that never actually really happens, does it? But here we actually do have one where it is happening. Um, did this family? Um, do you think they? they knew what they were sort of taking on? Because I think when you buy a listed building, it's a huge responsibility. There are very, very stringent rules in terms of what you can and can't do, what you can be limited by. Um, did, did they realise that, do you think? Or were they potentially, we've had clients before with listed builders that have been overwhelmed at then realising the undertaking that's at hand? I think, well, the, the process went relatively smoothly. And... Um, I think they were not aware of the, the complexity, not mm. necessarily uh, linked to a listed building, but such a big house, such a big building, and, and all of the, the elements that needs to be taken in consideration. Um, 
and uh, particularly with re with regards to retrofitting a building like that. And mm -hmm. um, but they, I think they had tested me before and tested the system before. They asked me just before that to work on the house they were living in, right? And to create a a roof terrace with sliding glazing windows, something really quite extraordinary. And so mm -hmm. we had gone already through the, it was a listed house as well, uh, much smaller, but uh, so we had gone through the complexity of it and I, I had had the opportunity to explain the process and we went through it together. So mm -hmm. it was a bit of a test run if you want. Yeah. Could you maybe just for the listener, just ex describe the, the existing building, this terraced house of just what it looks and feels like before we talk about what you've done to it, just the actual characteristics of this property. So it is a terraced uh, house, a Georgian terraced house. So they come typically in row of a few number of them, um, a similar by a similar developed at the same time. Um, it's a one, two, three story plus basement, um, house. Um, it's got very distinctive Georgian features, which is a, a relatively simple and pure um, external facade, but with beautiful proportions, uh, very geometrical. And it's got its characteristic first floor, uh, so the piano nobile, um, the noble floor, which is very high ceilings, uh, four meter high um, uh, ceilings. Uh, it's got a beautiful, very large sash windows, um, which slide up and down. Uh, it's got also something really quite characteristic of these, these big houses, uh, big Georgian houses, um, a lower ground floor rear kitchen, which mm -hmm. um, is flooded with light as well, surrounded with small light wells flooded with light because a lot of staff was working in the kitchen day and night preparing this uh, food for the whole household around a, a very big fireplace. Um, it's got also in every room fine sculpted um, fireplaces, uh, beautiful plaster uh, friezes and cornices on the ceilings, um, plaster pattern, ornamental patterns. And it's got a magnificent uh, cantilevered um, solid stone uh, staircase. So it is a, a piece of engineering as much as architecture and, mm. and sculpture at the same time. It really encapsulates um, a very sophisticated um, design. Uh, it is so solid stone, massive stone. Um, and the stair uh, basically holds itself, is self-supported. Mm -hmm. um, it is very grand. Uh, and yeah, I think that's, that's the, key, the key features to the house. Mm. So, so, as well, so evocative, so like such beautiful properties and they're very popular. The Georgian properties are often a reference point visually in terms of the proportion and the, the windows here, the classic kind of very vertical windows usually two to a room um there's interesting I, w I went to a talk years ago about i think an architect had embarked on this worldwide study for the riba of looking at house typologies and what created the kind of happiest occupants and he went to cities all around the world and looked at different house sizes and 
somehow scientifically he came to the conclusion that a Georgian house at the ceiling heights and the ver- the vertical windows rather than the horizontal that you get on kind of modernist architecture, all of that resulted in the best light conditions, the best sort of feeling of space and um, and general well well being for a for a home. So it's no surprise that they're so popular. I, I'm not surprised that you say that because what really struck me with this house and generally with Georgian houses, but with this one particularly, is that despite the the sheer size of it, because of the proportion, so there can be like the foot, uh, an enormous footprint for a room, but because of the height of the ceiling and the relationship of, of the two of them, you never feel uh, oppressed by the, mm. the grandeur of it. You never feel lost. Um, the small rooms don't feel too small. The big rooms mm. don't feel too big. There's a bit of a magic, a magic number. Mm. And uh, it was very important. The, the, the ratios were very important for architects at the, at the time, the ratios. Um, mathematical ratios, um, and and it's and you experience it as, mm. as a human in in the house. I mean, at, at the beginning when I visited the house, um, it, the, the the vibes of the house, if you want, the vibration you were getting were not good. You could feel the house aching, but mm. but but the proportions were here, and you you could see that. Is just making these vibrations, these these things uh, work again. Uh, then it could be the perfect family family house. Um, so these vibes was that a kind of a sense of neglect of the property? Had, had there been was it offices right up until this family bought it? There hadn't been someone living there in recent times. So there was someone living on the top two floors, um, right? And it, and and the rest were offices and the basement. There was someone living in the basement. Right. I think this is what created very strange vibes because mm. there was like this this maisonette encapsulated in the house. And there was this kind of of very dark and and unhealthy basement mm. encapsulated with somebody living there. Uh, but you could sense that things were conflicting that the energy was really not not there um, mm. and and that the offices had added a lot of these extra locks extra door holders extra mm-hmm. uh, hoses on the on the paneling uh, things done quickly badly cheaply uh, just to comply with with regulation um and, and not a lot of care w- was given to to all of these alterations. Yes, it was neglect. You could, you could um, is this a common story along the rest of the terrace? So there's neighbouring buildings that are the same typology. Uh, are they family homes? Are they still offices? Or are others undergoing a similar transformation? That's that's an interesting uh, question, and um, it is it is in an area where um, it's it's not too far away from the Harley Street. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, area and its um, its use and the use of of all of this building for um, medical prime very high uh, high end uh, medical uh, practices. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a it's an interesting um, uh, problem I think because on one one end it is encouraged by the council. This is a use which is encouraged by a council, 
Right. Because traditionally, it's been there. And also, because um, I think it helps, this, this kind of activity helps the area um, be maintained. Um, on the other hand, I think there couldn't be any any worse uh, ownership than this type of ownership for the Georgian properties because of all of the equipment, all of the services uh, that you need to fit quickly in order to upgrade your equipment, your medical equipment, mm. um, and all of the, the partitioning you need to do in order to create these small rooms, these small clinic rooms. So I think it's, it's a very, very interesting and um, questionable um, use currently. Let's talk about what you've done then on this property. I think you've got an, a really amazing sense of the history of this house and, and what it felt like and the, and the challenge, I think, um, approaching it. What was the brief that was given to you? What was, the, what was the sort of first challenge that was set for you of what you needed to create and achieve with this house? Well, the brief was, uh, was simple. It's create our best family home ever. <laughs> Right. The, the, this family of five children. You, you don't see very often families of five children. And um, they wanted this house to be their house forever and feel, you know, really uh, at home. Um, what's interesting is that one day in a very casual conversation, um, the father, my, my client, gave me, I think, the best piece of information um, a brief could could be. He, we were visiting um, a different contractor, uh, the different contractor I had lined up for for them. We were visiting some examples of their work to see if they they could, you know, they, they could see the, the the quality of the finishes, etc. And we visited a, a big renovated um, uh, house, maybe Victorian, um, but. The craft, the, the the work was brilliantly done, and the details amazing. But then when we went out of the house and uh, we had a coffee, um, my client told me, Anais, why would I buy a house uh, in, uh, in Marylebone, in the center of London, to be in a house that could be like anywhere in the world? Because um, you see often some renovation or some projects where everything is spotless and, and the design of the interiors and everything looks like in a, in, in, a, in a magazine, but lack a little bit of, of um, local um, character and, and cultural reference to where you are. And so I think he was really clear. Um, and he's, the main part of his brief was, make this our home, but this is a London home. We want this to be uh, a London, uh, a Georgian house feel like a Georgian house throughout. Mm -hmm. And so, why was that the best information then that a client could give you for a brief? How did that set you up to approach this project? Well, I don't know if you have if you have that, but um, when I start with a project, I can already see the pile of the hundred and twenty drawings uh, 
you know, and specification <laughs> and references and, and the sample boards and, and, you know, all of this, this information that you will have to produce. Um, and I could see the detailing and, you know, the shadow gap here, this little finger pull handle here, contemporary. And then somebody tells you, I actually want to get all of the character of the house uh, brought back to life and to um, and, 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 and being able to use um, the shutters, being able to uh, to see really the stone of the stair, etc. And so suddenly all of these drawings I have, no, it's not them. Now we're going to focus on really keeping every bit uh, that can be can be kept, restore it, um, change only you know the necessary hinge uh, or the button that is really completely damaged. Um, so it's a very different approach. It's a very different approach to a to a project. In what way? So um, so you, if if he hadn't have said that, you could have approached this as more of renewing. How does that balance with the you know the challenge of the listed building and what you had to keep anyway? What would have been different? There were still a lot of, um, there is still in the house a lot of element that had to be created. Um, and I'm thinking of the, the, for example, in the lower ground floor, or creating some bathrooms, creating the kitchen. Um, and for all of these elements, you really take a position on, on the entire look and feel of the house. Mm -hmm. So in this case, it was very much about expressing what's there and making sure that whatever intervention you do um, is doesn't take doesn't steal the show mm -hmm. uh, so fits in blends in um, you're right in in a listed building uh, you have very little room um, to maneuver with um, original features they have to stay you have to to repair them clean them uh, make them make them work back to what they were but all of these new elements that you bring um you you have you have a choice of making them stand out or making them blend in uh, and reveal more the rest and so you were taking an active approach for them to blend absolutely to blend in and in a sense it's kind of approaching it in a positive way isn't it if rather than saying these are the rules and working backwards to try and follow the rules that have been set it's actually taking it taking the front foot and saying actually we want to do this and we're going to decide the rules more than a listed building or council is going to decide is that is that part of the thinking yes I, well i i think it's um it's at the beginning and this is part of this approach that we are talking about with with any type of of project is from the beginning looking at the set of constraints that you have and don't think that there are constraints that you're going to try to fight against. No, it's, mm -hmm. it's one of the constraints. And then you add the other constraints of the brief. Um, mm -hmm. and, and we see them as all positive elements because ultimately they're going to make your building. So mm. they are deciding the building. And um, it, it's avoiding to have an abstract concept and try to impose it to a building, mm. but more see what can be revealed through this, uh, this constraint, if it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's such an important aspect of homes that have meaning and that are beautiful and that are family homes. They all come from clear constraints that are treated positively. And I mean, you'll probably agree, but just working on a project that doesn't actually have any, you often create some, don't you, to, or I do anyway, you have I to agree. create constraints. Otherwise, 
blank canvas is awful. <laughs> I, I agree. And it's interesting because I was just reflecting on, on, on this, you know, on this house and on other projects and on why do I enjoy really doing this type of project? I think it's because to be completely honest, the blank canvas of a, uh, a, a no constraint brief and an open brief is, is actually boring. I, I mm. enjoy the challenge of having something there. I mean, sometimes it's just the, the, it's just, just the, the, the landscape and then you have to, to see how you're going to plant the house in the, in the landscape. But I really enjoy having uh, a building and, and seeing how the brief is going to wrap around and, and makes his way inside of this building. And I'm guessing like every kind of project like this, like a challenging project when you're working on a historical building, I'm guessing that the building kind of led you sometimes as well. Maybe w when we go through the house and talk about some of the areas you've designed, that were there things that sort of jumped up as surprises of like, okay, we have to change what we're doing here because this isn't as stable as we thought, or we found some more beautiful with, with that. Did this, did the building lead you as well as you were going through yes, the design? I, I, absolutely. Um, I, I see this building almost as, as, uh, as, per, as, as people, you know, persons. Mm -hmm. And, and they talk to you. <laughs> I'm, I'm not completely crazy, but um, <laughs> these buildings tell you a lot. They, they, but you have to take the time, uh, spend the time in them. That's why I like to, um, at the beginning, we used to survey the building ourselves and spend literally weeks in them. Then we find out that specialist surveyors are so much better than us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I, I really used to enjoy this time because spending a full day measuring um, and just you know, feeling the house and going up and down the stairs 20 times give you a very, very good insight and, and allows you to, um, to let the building tell you mm. how to use them. And um, yes. so absolutely letting the building speak is a big part of creating. How did you replicate that? Because that's a really interesting comment about the survey is... Um, because we, we've gone through a similar process of me and my business partner. We used to always go to people's houses and take the measurements. And it was very much a part of the design process as well. You you know, you read, if the family's already living there, you read things about the family that you wouldn't read from just visiting for a coffee or looking at pictures. Um, but the reality is, yes, you're right. The surveys are much better that they're done professionally. Did you have to do something there? Because you've gone through that transition. Did you have to do something to replicate that? You know, I'm thinking like, could you have, stayed in a sleeping bag and stayed the night in the house and it's empty or was there anything sort of strange that you did to try and feel the building oh i should have uh, george i think i really should have done that <laughs> and you know it, it is difficult to to take me away from this house I, I i now i kind of try to find any kind of excuse to see oh yeah you know, i'm sure there's a defect over there i have to i have to look after yeah because it's such a nice house um we've we had and i think this is something that i want to keep um, done in-house by us, uh, so surveying the the features is actually yes. something we do. We we do survey the shutters, uh, the skirtings, uh, paneling, uh, replic you know, sketch the de some details, um, mm -hmm. and 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 the the photographic survey as well, which is uh, not as obvious as it seems, um, is something that we do a lot. Yes, about. it's a forensic approach. Yes. to a house, yes. to this person. Um, I think it's about time we kind of started to talk about a few of the, some of these beautiful spaces that um, 
that you've created. I, I think it might be quite nice to start on the, there's a lot of floors to this building, there's a lot of rooms, a lot of variation, a lot of colour. Um, but maybe if we start with, you talked about it before, but the the noble floor, so the piano nobili, the, the, the main floor, that's the one that you enter from the street and you go up one floor up this beautiful Portland stone staircase and you arrive at what is the main floor, the four metre high ceiling. Now that is the floor with the kitchen and the dining room on, is that correct? Uh, no. Ah, no, it's not. It's not. The kitchen and the dining room uh, are located on the ground floor. Yeah. Um, and so you walk up the stair and you enter a red room, which is a music room, which is a small, smaller room. And the very big drawing room is at the rear of the property. Mm -hmm. That's one of the characteristics of this property. Um, typically, you would find the larger room in front because the stair takes some of the widths of the of the terrace yeah. and in this house the stair is put in front so when you enter the the house you are in the hallway and the stair mm -hmm. starts to wind wind up directly so in this house all of the front room are slightly smaller and it gave us the opportunity to create uh, a series of capsules of color mm -hmm. in front uh, nice, yeah. and it is quite nice because on one hand um, they act a little bit as a as a f filter almost uh, from the street to the more private spaces um, of the the kitchen and you know uh, informal dining uh, and on the first floor the the family room um, and also they, they they get this strong light from the street, so they are really very vibrant. Um, so, but the, the first floor, it is it is something that I've really enjoyed with this project, um, is that the family was really clear that they wanted the piano nobile to be the children level, and mm. instead of having to um, design a very stiff reception um, lounge. You know, with very uh, uh, formal furniture, etc. Um, that very often doesn't get you that much, to be honest. They decided that these great rooms would be the children rooms. So mm. the front red rooms would be the music room, and they do actually really play music, a lot of music. And it's a great feeling to come in the house, again for defects, and hear one of the boys play piano in the red room. I mean, it's just that makes the house vibrate and, mm -hmm. and it's amazing. And then the rear room um, is a room where we had to fit uh, a pool table, <laughs> a 65 inches uh, TV, um, and some toy storage, book storage, uh, and you know, sofa, etc. for the Xbox and, and all of mm -hmm. that. So it was a great challenge, a great challenge to keep the integrity of this room and at the same time fit all of these family elements and family entertainment elements. So we went into, and it, this is an approach we've, uh, we've taken throughout the house, uh, in order not to disturb any of the features of the wall, the wood paneling, the <coughs> simply sometimes the, the fabric of the building, um, we've designed some cabinetry which are self-supported and self self-standing only the kitchen has two anchors to the to the wall and it, we we put it for for con we had a consent for that we had a mm -hmm. um, 
so uh, but the rest is self-supported which means that we can ho we can have a big tv you know going up and down in the cabinet um, and we can have um, lo very large toy um, storage but all of that is is, is self-standing and the room is so big here that tv in the cabinet sits in the middle of the room the pool table's on one side of it and sofas on the other side this is the opposite of mary poppins in terms of the children you know would be in the room upstairs in the attic room and away and sort of locked away they're going to be noisy with nurses and whatever whereas here they're given the main space i think it's an excellent it's a very interesting approach and an excellent use because you're right a lot of the times with houses like this those these kind of rooms are kind of dressed as if they're sort of ready for hello magazine and there's chairs that you think no one ever sits in them this is a real family space um i loved what you said about the capsule of color so these small rooms that are at the front of the house um and on this floor is the music room with the piano in it's a really rich dark velvety red a very moody atmospheric space what what was the idea and thinking behind that why did you want these to be capsules of color I have to say here, it's my client who, so the mum, the mother, um, who is a very uh, vibrant personality. And who said, there is no way, Anaïs, you're going to give me some black and white here. Mm -hmm. I want colour. I want really my colour. I want red. <laughs> so that was, that was part of the brief. Uh, and it, it did push me to some, um, to some zones where I was not comfortable uh, mm -hmm. to start with. Uh, to be really honest, and I'm, uh, I was very much, it changed me. Yeah, I was very much a typical architect, not wanting to commit too much <laughs> on the color. Um, and I really liked the use of black, of grays, of, you know, a little bit of yellow, uh, but not much just to, just to, to put the black in a, like, um, stepping out even, even more. So it was great. I really mm. love this research of color. Um, I dived into um, uh, the color use at Georgian and Victorian uh, times. Uh, I was really greatly inspired by um, Lighten House in, in Kensington, um, where colors are clashing. Uh, and you have a um, pale blue um, clashing with this type of, of vibrant red on the floor of two rooms adjacent to each other. Um, I have to, I, we were working as well with a, with a student from LSA, uh, Jess, who really pushed us as well. As well. And it's, yeah. it's great to, to have people in your team who help you challenge your, your habits, because ultimately this is the client's house. They, they have, you know, they have to, to feel it's their home. Um, and so we worked really together uh, on a palette that um, was close to a, a Georgian palette of colors, um, but we took the, the deliberate decision not to try to capture it as it would have been for the Georgian, um, but take, pick a, a Georgian color with the added 250 years. Um, so a little bit of a faded um, uh, red, a little bit of a faded yellow, uh, mm -hmm. a, a, a very dark blue, um, and a faded green as well. So it's a little bit muted compared to what 
the Georgian mm. would have seen or the, the, the Victorian would have seen. I think that's really interesting what you're saying, very honest as well, of the this idea of the client and pushed out of comfort zone and challenged and with this this um, student as well, Jess. Um, I think it's really interesting with, the, you know, a lot of times I think with architecture and with architects, there's, you know, sometimes there's this perceived thing of ego and stamping a mark. And, and there are architects, I think, that people approach. So it's like, I want what you do and that look. And um, But I can completely understand what you're saying there in terms of the client and that feeling of joy almost of a client actually informing so much the design of make, helping you do something you wouldn't have done and that you feel kind of slightly uncomfortable with and then do it. I remember a house we worked on once and it, the client wore very sort of bright clothes and had brightly colored bicycle and, and the house kind of reflected that and they kind of egged us on and said, yeah, let's put that color with this color. And they're, they're ones that if you look in a textbook, they'd say this color doesn't go with this color. Um, do you think there's a there's something to be said for that of Sometimes maybe ignoring that advice. There is there is advice sometimes on colour that I sort of think is kind of nonsense because you can kind of put anything with anything and if, if you do it brave enough, it will work. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I think the more you look around, uh, and in history, this is something I really like, um, you know, the decorative arts from the beginning of humanity almost mm -hmm. to now is filled with the richness of proposals um, I mean, the Egyptian color clash, I mean, there's nothing <laughs> as radical as that, or mm. um, it, it's, it's everywhere. And, and I think, yeah, ignore the, the you know, a good taste uh, advice, absolutely. Um, I, I think there is one thing which is a trend, uh, which, is, which, is, which is here, and which is also interesting because it reflects a... Um, a a society at a, a stage uh, but personality when someone feels strong about something and and has a desire for something it's so precious for us architects mm. uh, because you have something to work on it's it's these these positive constraints that actually make the richness of a project mm. yeah i think with color we, i mean we very rarely had a client that said they've regretted the choice of something that was bold. But I have had a client before that has said they regretted they didn't go for something, that a suggestion that was quite bold, and they kind of toned it back. Um, so it's interesting. It's the other way around the, in terms of feedback we've had. Yes, um, and today what I, what I say is, is compared to the project, you know, paint is a very low, low risk. Go for yes. it. <laughs> yes. Go for it. Absolutely. So then if we go down a floor, so we'll go back down to the ground floor. So the, the floor that you enter from street level when you come into the front door, and that's the floor that the kitchen is on and the dining room is on. Similar approach on this floor in terms of the colour capsule at the front, a grand space at the back, beautiful ceiling, an ornate cornicing. And then this kitchen, can I call it a kitchen object, a kitchen box Absolutely. that's sat within the space? Tell me a bit about this because this is beautiful. Mm. This is a self-supported kitchen, so it's a, there's, there's a good engineering behind that, and you don't see there's a portal carrying the weight of the, of the kitchen, and there's only two anchors to the walls. So, and equally, the kitchen island is just resting there, and there's one hole in the, in the boards to get uh, the water, uh, the downdraft extract, so the ventilation, uh, and and any other services, but that's it. So the damage to the 
original fabric here is really really minimum and that yeah. that's very important um and and that was that was really a priority um what we've done with the kitchen is that um here we thought that timber a dark timber would be really um you know that almost matches the the floorboards and that is in the tones of this this georgian brown this dark georgian brown paint that we found you know in a lot of places in this house in on a lot of woodwork um and so it feel naturally that it's that it it fits within this house this this dark and deep color the the vein of the of the the veneer as well um i think helped because it's not flat so it it's got this rich texture like the rest of the house um and then what we wanted to do in order to i think that that was also part of the brief to have a kitchen adjacent to the living room so to the sofa to the place where people relax have a drink and um and it's a really a reception space so the kitchen and the reception space had to be really adjacent to each other so we proposed this concealing so the doors conceal completely this object and it end up being just a, a rectangle a wooden rectangle uh, there um the the client was also very clear with the brief that she wanted to be able to have a mess in the kitchen and in one second conceal it and be able mm -hmm. to enjoy the evening in the in the living room so that's the reason behind but i think what's interesting about it is the contrast probably with the material the the brass material mm. and it's a it's a brushed brass and natural brass so the patina will age it it is really not um shiny uh, it glows a bit with the light which is uh, which is quite nice and it's got this i think this texture is um the the, the brass is in our minds associated to restaurant to maybe brasserie you know mm. this kind of um i think um yes res restaurant furniture so in i think it it gives it evocates uh, it evokes mm. that it's a really nice contrast with that dark brown and then it's it's a brass part is almost like it's carved out of this rectangular box like a little alcove um one thing i've noticed in this space is Again, it's a very grand room, beautiful proportions and, and lovely decorative features. There's also a bit like the the White House. There's a there's a door in the corner that looks like a secret door that's kind of in the panelling. Where's that leading to? That's my favourite part. <laughs> ah, okay. So, <laughs> um, well, they had they they had two very small and um, badly done extension, probably dating from 1910, something like mm -hmm. that. And at the beginning, we wanted to just demolish them to reinstate the the grand um, um, the grandeur of the the rear facade. But then we thought that uh, it was quite in terms of um, of, of um, functions. Um, so these one of them, well, both of them were uh, toilets and and little lobbies. Um, and then the one you can see on the picture, we kept it as a a washroom a little lobby and then and then a toilet at the at the rear and we concealed it completely it used to be uh, a, a door that you could read um, and so 
you know, not very attractive door, not very attractive to know that's, you know, going to the washrooms. So mm -hmm. we concealed it completely. We continued there, the, the feature that you could read on, on every other wall. And then we did another capsule of color there. Big clash of a black lobby <laughs> with a black basin and a black tap and yeah. a red, an atomic red uh, toilet, which is a bit of fun. I mean, it's just an additional uh, little feature. So the, the downstairs toilet, that's your favorite part of the... Well, of the room, I find it so, so, <laughs> such a, a cool surprise. <laughs> no, I wouldn't say that's... Okay, that's, that's just a, a cool surprise. Um, when you look at the other spaces, I mean, I can understand why you like it, but... Um, and then the, the dining room is, again, like we talked about, the capsule of colour. This is this is brave. This one's really bold, really dark. Can you tell me a bit about this space? Yes, yeah, so it's, it's, um, it's entirely painted wall, ceiling and floors, um, painted uh, black and blue and dark blue. Um, it's it's really related to the way uh, the client live as well. They they very often have friends for dinner all mm -hmm. the time, and they really uh, very um, entertaining people. And mm -hmm. you meet interesting people, you, you old friends, and there's always someone. Um, and their 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 evenings are very um, entertaining and good place for discussions so mm -hmm. this is very much the evening the evening intimate you know leading you to to talk and to meet people it's a very social intimate space mm -hmm. um, it's it's almost a uh, an homage to to the evenings uh, yeah and it works so well because it contrasts with the relative brightness of the kitchen and lounge space that's right next to it it filters also the light or the the buzz from the street you know, mm. right? so it gives you a bit of a buffer from yeah from the outside it's interesting that isn't it with these georgian properties that traditionally the main living space would have been at the front and because obviously they didn't have cars then there wasn't the sort of noise that would be associated with a central location now whereas this the design of this terrace, kind of ahead of its time, was already placing the principal living spaces to the, the quieter parts and to the to the back, which suits living now. Um, so then the the staircase. So this is a unifying feature that goes up the whole house. Beautiful staircase. You've you've said that it's all Portland stone and the edges of the steps kind of cantilever out and it's self-supporting. But another really key feature in here is the mural um, that goes up. Does it go up the entire? height to the five floors of the house yes so you know as architect when you when you look at uh, at drawings of a building it's it is also inspiring when we looked at the section of this um, of this house and we realized the extent of walls um, on the staircase and how beautiful in itself the staircase was it was clear that something had to be done there um, so we wanted to, and, and, and I say we, because we had a very open conversation with the client on that. And it was, a, it was a, a very creative exchange. And it was great to have such an openness and be able to, to, to give ideas without them feeling that they have to do it. Or they, it, was, mm -hmm. it, it was a good exchange. So we wanted to evoke the, the years. 
So there was something that had to be done about um, almost all of this, th these paint layers that we had on the woodwork, for example, um, being exposed. So there was this, this idea of having layers. And a fresco, almost like in an Italian um, mm. palazzo, where you can see the different layers, is something that very early on we wanted to, to, to create. Um, and first we looked at wallpapers to create this effect. But quickly we realized that uh, paint would be much more uh, flexible, much more malleable uh, to get the effect we wanted. And I came across to the work of Ma uh, Michael Dillon that I really love because he's got this art of a, a bit of a Rembrandt art of giving a very sharp, very sharp um, um, figurative detail, but with no detail. He's, he's got a, a, an amazing brush and he, he's, the, the play with the light and the way the light reflects to your eye gives you the impression that you're looking at something extremely detailed, but when you mm. look at it in detail, it is not. Uh, so it is, it is not too much, if you want. It stays really quite faded. Mm -hmm. um, and so we had this idea of the layers and on top of that, the clients, I had this idea of maybe birds, you know, making their way, just poking at reception level, but then getting more and more busier and busier when mm -hmm. you come up towards the children level. And, they, and that could culminate into something quite exuberant at the children level. Um, <clears throat> and this is what's, what's, what's there. So birds, the birds that... Um, our reference to the places the family lived in. So we've got Australian birds, mm -hmm. uh, we've got uh, French birds, um, and so. And as as you go up the house, you see more of them. <laughs> and then, ironically, another fantastic toilet at the top of the house. Uh, we have a toilet which has, um, which uses a roof light, and it extends up to I think five meter ceiling height. So it's almost like a light well. And we have little robins um, playing in the toilet. <laughs> it's the the mural. I I think these are the kind of things that they can be quite hit and miss. I think you yes. can see these things done, and they're done. They just don't work. They feel cheesy, or they're not quite mm. right. Um, but here it does work. It's very. Uh, how long did he spend painting this? Not that long. He's very. He's really impressive. Really. Uh, Probably, I think it was done in uh, in two weeks. Really? Yes. Wow, that's so. It's very instinctive the way he's Absolutely. painted. See, he should have done the Sistine Chapel. He'd have been much yeah. quicker. <laughs> <laughs> but he does similar things now. People ask him all sorts of things. It's really fascinating. Yeah. Um. So then, in terms of some other, I mean, this this is such a big house. I mean, we can't talk about every room and every space. But one of the kind of two more places I did want to touch upon. One was the the children's rooms. And um, if you could just tell me a little bit about those, because they're very playful. They've almost got their own sort of structures built within the house. Again, going with the theme of what you've done elsewhere, but here more childlike and more playful, like a Wendy house I've kind of thought of it as, um, where there's windows internally in the room as well. Can you tell me a little bit about those? Yes. So there they were four bedrooms upstairs for five children. Um, and... So one of the bedrooms, which are quite quite big, had to be divided into two uh, rooms for the, the younger children, which quite enjoy being together. 
Um, and it was not possible, of course, to form any other partition. We reinstated completely the, the plan form at the, on the top floor because it had been used as a kitchen, used as a, as a bathroom, but you had to step over one of the big bins to get in the bathroom. So it was a bit, it was a bit patchy. We reinstated completely the, the plan form and we subdivided simply this big bedroom into two corner rooms, if you want, two mm -hmm. areas, uh, really distinctive areas for a little boy and a little girl. Um, and we did that with the same approach uh, as the kitchen and as the storage, uh, which is using a self-supported structure, mm -hmm. using an MDF um, and stud structure, self-supported. So we had to spread the load, uh, create a T-shape, so it's self-supported, and we played around that simply. We created something that um, was also really enjoyable for the children, a little communication, a way of you know, not being completely boarded uh, with, with a partition, but being able to see the other, um, you know, invite yourself in the play of the other with little windows. Um, it, it was also a way of, uh, I don't know, do some, some kind of, yeah, the house in the house. We use the same molding as mm. the uh, um, architraves. Um, as, as in the in the, the main bedrooms um, for these little windows, internal windows, and we used very strong colors um, for them, and contemporary colors for them, so mm -hmm. that they feel really in their in their cons. No, it's really nice, very nice spaces. Um, and then, yeah, one other thing I wanted to ask you about is there's a door that I can see that looks like a safe, and it looks like a, a very, I don't know, is it an original door, and what's I'm very curious to know what's behind it. Big story behind that. Uh, so <clears throat> the the lower ground floor, so it, it's an art dealer who lived in the, in the house and worked in the house. And in the, in the basement, there had been um, a, a strong room built in the 1910, again, uh, for artwork. Uh, and this strong room is so strong that it took, I think, something like three weeks to create an opening in it in order, <laughs> in order to be able to use it as a, I mean the, the, the reinforcements were just ridiculous almost more more metal than concrete in there wow. um, and that that's the strong strong door that was there so it is not Georgian it's historical in a way um, and it is an item that the client loved and told mm -hmm. me we want to retain that, and I want to have my uh, wine cellar behind that. Right. So, and then <laughs> it was left to to us to sort out, and it took, I think, it took six men, and we <laughs> just move a few meters away from where it was, and uh, in order to create this cellar. Uh, but it's a great feature now, and I'm so happy we did that. You know, it's yeah. so complex, and it <laughs> but at the end we had to to create a structure for it, etc. At the end, it brings really a, a very another fun feature. Yeah, I hope the wine collection lives up to the um, the enclosure that it's surrounded in. It's a lot of pressure. It does, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, what do you think it's like to to live in this house? So, you know, you mentioned right at the beginning that the client's main brief is to make us the best house possible, uh, the most sort of fun house. Do you, do you think? you achieve that? Have they given you feedback on that of, of living in the place? 
Yes, ironically, this, um, they started leaving the house, I think, a few months before uh, the lockdown. Okay. And I had messages, you know, every two weeks saying, we love it. It's so great. Oh, how lucky we are. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it was great for me to hear because so much work um, uh, and so much appreciation is amazing. You know, mm -hmm. feel rewarded for, for everything when you hear that. And I think the house has very different vibes now. And you, when you step in, you feel, you feel happiness and you feel uh, joy. And I, I think it's, it's, it's mainly because of this, uh, the, the, the family and the, the, the vibrancy of the family. And I was so impressed one week after they moved in and I, I came in for defects every corner of the house was used. I don't know if you've had that before, but sometimes it takes really a lot of time for a client to get used to his new house and to really mm -hmm. own the spaces, and which, which I totally understand, and I would probably be the same. Uh, but this family, I could see kids playing in every corner. Mm -hmm. they, they were at home. They had been waiting for that, you know, for s so long. And um, so, so that was great, and the, the, the vibes are here. Is there anything that surprised you about them moving in and how they use the space that you maybe didn't foresee before there's a family living in there? Yes, definitely, definitely. And, but more in terms of, you know, this, this huge family room. Um, I, I, I don't know. Yes, maybe it was, it was designed the way they wanted, and I'm always surprised that it works. Hmm. You know, and as I say, hearing this boy playing piano in the piano room, which is you know expected, I, I was really surprised and happy to to see and to hear that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, you've mentioned. I'm not going to let it sort of stay that the, your favorite part of the house is the downstairs <laughs> toilet. But I, you might want to correct it. Maybe you don't. But what would you pick as your favorite part of the house if you had to pick something? Uh, the hallway, I think. The hallway and and the stair. And, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, I know the work that is behind that, uh, and which is invisible and which, what makes this, um, this hallway and the staircase is a very strong strategy decision to extract all services to the external, to the rear facade of the building of the house. Mm -hmm. And this is this kind of invisible work you and I do. <laughs> Mm -hmm. and that nobody sees, but it makes the success, I think, of a, of a space um, because previously all of the services were perforating all of the corners of these, these staircase and, and the stone and, and the friezes and, and the cornices. So everything was damaged in the corner because of these services alteration, you know, alteration and added over the years. So when we decided to move everything and put, put everything outside on an insulated um, riser box. Uh, it was a strong uh, strategy decision, but it really paid off because now you can read the landings, the cornices, everything is, is as it was uh, before. Mm. And the success of something like that is that most people now visiting the building, they will have no idea that it looks that way because of that painstaking work. And that's, that's why it's a success, right? Yes, yes, that's our, that's our life, isn't it? 
<laughs> Poor us, hey. <laughs> when you don't see anything, you know, and when nobody talks about it, that means success. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, Anise, I'm going to now ask you um, the three questions that I ask all of my guests. Um, and I'm going to start with asking you, what is the one thing that really annoys you in your home? Uh, uh, what annoys me with my home is is that I've I've got no times to look after my home. <laughs> <laughs> is that I look after everybody's home, but my home is a disaster. Uh, no, it's not a disaster, but there's a lot of, of of things to be done, and I keep every room calls me when I walk in and tells me and look after me, look after me, and <laughs> and I've got all of this. Hey, again, it's know. buildings are talking to you. Yes, I know. It's this is it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's what annoys me about my home. What would be the first thing that you'd have to address then if you were to fix that? Uh, remove two walls and just have, a, have an open, um, quiet space, you know, non, not, not a busy space, just mm -hmm. a, an open room. Well, what, what I did with my house is I knocked, there was a wall that needed removing, so I knocked it out. And then it just stayed on yeah. just to force myself to then deal with the consequences of all the other stuff that had to be done. <laughs> but I, it stayed it, like that for a while. <laughs> yes, I think it's okay. I think once once the overall volume is fine, I'm kind of okay. It's yeah. just, I need to knock this wall down. Yeah. <laughs> and then if you could describe one house that you visited that has really inspired you and tell me why. I it's It's something that that I really love doing. I, I, each time I'm on a holiday, I travel, I visit a city, I, I visit these houses and, and it's, I love them. I, I love mm -hmm. them all. Um, for example, in Berlin, the Mies van der Rohe early houses are absolutely fascinating um, because of the details, because of the simplicity, the height of the doors, the height of the, uh, the internal doors. I mean, the, but also, equally, the, uh, I recently went back to the Unité d'Habitation in Marseille and the simplicity, the proportion, and the fact that there is a link between the proportion of the Unité d'Habitation and the proportion of the Georgian house mm. somewhere, clearly, um, that makes this space great to be in. Um, mm -hmm. This is what I, really inspires me, I'm trying yeah. to find that, this balance. And, detail and proportion yeah and so if you could then choose any designer to design you a new home who would you choose well probably somebody who won the compact uh, project of the year award <laughs> oh stop it <laughs> <laughs> um i'd probably not design a house i'd probably take a, a an old office building and leave it as it is <laughs> to be honest really why because it's um, it, it otherwise it, it occupies too much of my brain and I, um, I I'd rather keep it for for my clients. But that's the beauty you can get somebody else to do this for you. Yes, no, exactly. So so yeah, there are some people I really love the the work um, of. Um, yes, do you want some names? Yeah, you have to pick somebody. Yeah. Um, so I really like the work of um, uh, Quinn MacLean, um, and uh, I, I feel that what they do with um, 
materials and uh, proportions and colors, uh, light, um, really amazing. Mm. I really like what they do. Yeah, they recently did that courtyard house, mm-hmm. the beautiful one, right? Yeah. Okay, well, Anais, thank you very much. Um, really enjoyed that. It was fascinating talking about uh, talking about guilds, and thank you for for sharing all your insights. Well, thank you for having me. It was really nice to to be able to discuss it with someone. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to find out more about Dab Design and their project Guild, then please visit the website at anotherarchitecturepodcast.com and try out the Instagram page to see the work of all of my guests. If you're interested in hearing about another historical home transformed for modern living, you might like to listen to episode 12, where I discuss Tenerife House, a colonial-style property in Queensland transformed by the Australian architect Vokes and Peters. You can find the link at anotherarchitecturepodcast.com. I look forward to you joining me for the next episode, and thanks again for listening. Thank you.